Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Constitutionalist. I'm Jeff Tokar, your host, and with me is Cliff DeCamp. The American Constitutionalist's main purpose is to defend and champion a return to the original intent and meaning of the United States Constitution. In addition, we at the American Constitutionalist are not afraid to mix politics and religion because we believe in America, they're inseparable. America was built as a Judeo-Christian nation and history proves it. Yet, even though we were built on the Christian principles of the Bible as a Judeo-Christian nation, our founding fathers and framers of our constitution still left you with the freedom of choice in religion. Cliff, I find it ironic every year when we celebrate Christmas that people really don't know the true meaning of Christmas. I've said this before during other podcasts about Christmas. I want to first look at what people traditionally celebrate. They get together with family and friends. They send gifts and get gifts. They put lights on their house. They put a tree in their house and they decorate. And people celebrate Christmas all over the world. But I want to read a few things to you first here from a piece by Max Lucado, who is a Christian uh, writer and speaker. And it's called The North Pole or the Manger. And he talks about how um, Santa Claus first He's called by some people as Sinterklaas. Other names for him were Para Noel or Papa Noel. He's also been known as Hotiosho, Sonnerklaas, Father Christmas, Jelly Belly, and to most English speakers, Santa Claus. His original name was Nicholas, which means victorious. He was born in 8280 and now what is called Turkey. He was orphaned at age nine when his parents died of a plague. Though many would think Santa majored in toy making and minoring and marketing, actually, the original Nicholas studied Greek philosophy and Christian doctrine. He was honored by the Catholic Church by being named Bishop of Myra in the early 4th century. He held that post until he died on December 6, 343. History recognized him as a saint, but in the 3rd century, he was a bit of a troublemaker. He was jailed twice, once by Emperor Diocletian for religious reasons and the other for slugging Philip Bishop during a fiery debate. Old Nick never got married. He was best known for his kindness. He showed to a poor neighbor who was unable to support his three daughters or provide the customary dowry so they could attract husbands. Old St. Nicholas slipped up to the house by night and dropped a handful of gold coins through a window so the eldest daughter could afford to get married. He repeated this act on two other nights for the other two daughters. So that's kind of where it all got started, him trying to help these daughters get a dowry together so they can get married. Well, as time goes on, the gift grew from a handful of coins to bags of coins. And instead of dropping them through a window, he dropped them down the chimney. And rather than landing on the floor coming down through the chimney, the bags of coins landed in the girl's stockings, which were hanging on the hearth to dry. So that's where all this stocking stuffing came from. As Bishop of Myra, he wore the traditional ecclesiastical robes and a miltered hat. He was known to have been slim with a dark beard and a serious personality. Now, as time went past, and things grew out of old St. Nicholas over the years. By 1300, people had him wearing a white beard. By the 1800s, he was depicted with a round belly 
and an ever-present basket of food over his arm. Soon came the black boots, a red cape, and a cheery stocking on his head. In the late 19th century, his basket of food became a sack of toys. In 1866, he was small and gnomish, and by 1930, he was a robust six-footer with rosy cheeks and good old Coca-Cola. So that kind of gives you an idea of, of Santa Claus and where Santa came from. And I've mentioned to you many times, I listen to the great WBAP radio here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. You can hear them online. They've just got great shows all day long. I wish you would download the app and listen to them. They have a great morning show, always have. And when I'm in the car, I listen to them and other shows they're playing. And yesterday afternoon, there was a talk show host that was talking about Christmas. And he had on a psychologist that was sharing about how the next generation is not teaching their kids about Santa Claus because they don't want to traumatize them. I thought that was a bit ironic because that same generation is teaching them that a boy could be a girl and a girl could be a boy. But I digress. But they don't want to share Santa Claus. When we grew up, and you probably did too, as most everybody listening to us, we had Santa Claus and we went to the store. In fact, Higby's, like you saw on Christmas Story, where we'd see Santa and, and other stores over the years and put in our good old wish list. And it was a fantasy. And when we raised our kids, we kind of did both. We raised them in the fantasy. And then like we did growing up, we raised them about the true meaning of Christmas. And that's the birth of Jesus Christ. And that he was born and came into this world to die for our sins. And he died on a cross, was crucified, buried, and rose again and is coming again. And so with our kids, we still wanted to have that fantasy of Christmas where Santa comes on Christmas Eve and puts the toys under the tree. So when they wake up on Christmas morning, it's just a wonderful time. But we did something else I'm going to share with you here in a little bit. But before I get to that, I want to talk to you, Cliff, about Christmas and what it means to you and what your family did all those years as you were growing up and what you, you have done in your adult life in sharing Christmas. You know, one of the things that we did every year that I enjoyed greatly um, as a kid and, you know, even into adulthood was to go to the candlelight services on Christmas Eve, where you got to go in and sing um, hymns and, you know, you got to do part of it by uh, candlelight. Uh, that that was uh, very enjoyable. It was something I look forward to every year. Um, currently, we're not doing that. Um, there's not too many places that, that do that, out, at least outside of the Methodist Church. Well, come down to Texas because we're doing it for Christmas Eve. We've got two services. We do it every year, too. So come on, bud. Come on down and enjoy Christmas Eve with us. Well, I'll have to do that one of these days. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's... We, we did the uh, the secular, traditional, you know, Santa Claus uh, type of thing where uh, for years we were told that Santa Claus was delivering gifts. It was kind of interesting how it worked because uh, mom and dad got the big presents and Santa Claus had the stuff that was in the stockings. That's kind of how it worked at my house. Um, and so that was growing up and kind of kept the same sort of traditions uh you know, as I had a family that we would do that. And it was always, um, you, you got to open the uh, presidents on Christmas Eve as opposed to Christmas, uh, at least in more recent years uh, here. But, you know, it, it was always uh, uh, you know, a mixture of the secular and the religious. Um, so it was uh, an, a, 
you know, unique understanding that um, they were two separate things, related in some respects, but really two separate things. Um, and and the uh, religious aspects were the more important of the two. The the other was, uh, you know, considered by my family to be the not just secular. I, we would have never used that word, but more commercial. That's how we would right. have referred to it. Right. And that's why I ask people, you know, if you don't believe in Christ, really, why are you celebrating Christmas? If you really look at it. And, and I know we didn't mention this on a podcast and we should have. During the month of December, I, I met a gentleman years, years, years ago. His name's Derek Johnson. He had a wonderful group called The Regeneration. And uh, when I worked in Christian radio a long time ago, every month in December for the first 25 days, we'd play a different story that Derek did every day. And it was called Christmas Is. And they still run. We're running them on a phone number right now this Christmas. And I should have given this out a long time ago. But you still have a couple days left till Christmas. And if you call 469-629-1703, you can hear up until and through Christmas Day, Derek's story. And it's a different one every day. So I encourage you to listen to Christmas Is, 469-629-1703. And as Cliff and I were talking about this, he shared with me a really unique story. And it's a true story. And so I asked Cliff to, to share that with us on this special Christmas podcast of the American Constitutionalist. As Jeff has indicated, this is a true story. Uh, it has been written up a number, a number of times in the African Beacon Journal over the course of the last 30 years. Um, they don't do it every year. They may do it like every 10 or something uh, to that effect. But um, so I, this is not word for word what has been in the Beacon Journal. I have the good fortune of being, uh, of knowing the grandson of the person this story is about. Uh, in wow. fact, I would consider him to want, be one of my closest friends. So, um, but it, it, so I wrote it down from kind of memory and, um, and, and so take it for what it's worth here. But this is, this is the story. It was 1933 in Northeast Ohio, and it was already getting dark this Christmas Eve when Dr. Francis Devaney walked through the back door and into the kitchen where his wife was taking his dinner out of the oven. He had spent the day seeing patients at his office and making house calls and was looking forward to getting warm and reading the newspaper by the fireplace. Halfway through his meal, the phone rang. His wife answered and beckoned him to the phone. It's Father Corrigan, she said. Father Corrigan told the doctor that he had learned of a penniless widow, Mrs. Green, with two young children, one who was very ill. Father Corrigan asked Dr. Devaney if he would call on Mrs. Green that evening to see whether there could be anything done to help her. Dr. Devaney reluctantly agreed, informed his wife, grabbed his overcoat and medical bag, and headed out into the dark, freezing night. Upon arriving at the greenhouse, he saw a house cloaked in complete darkness, save for a slight sliver of light shining through the curtains. A knock brought Mrs. Green to the door, and Dr. Devaney was allowed in. Mrs. Green quickly advised him that she had no money to pay him. He told her that she need not worry about payment and asked to see her son. She told him that her son had been sick for days, was coughing and now in pain with each breath. She feared pneumonia. Dr. Devaney examined the boy, then asked Mrs. Green about the lack of heat and lights. Mrs. Green told him that her husband had died earlier in the year, leaving them with nothing more than the house and a small savings, which they quickly depleted. Through tears of despair and exhaustion, 
Mrs. Green stated that she made ends meet by cleaning the houses of people in town, but several of her customers recently had decided that they no longer needed her services. She fell behind in her bills. First, it was the electric bill. Then the cold delivery stopped because she could not pay them. Now she was uh, only able to buy enough food for them to eat once a day, and she and her children scavenged enough coal along the railroad tracks to keep a small fire going in their fireplace, which they used for both heat and cooking. Dr. Devaney assured her that her son would be fine, but that he needed to place a few phone calls. He told her that he was going to walk down the street to another patient of his, who he knew had a phone to make arrangements for medicine for her son. Dr. Devaney was greeted at the house down the street with surprise, but quickly ushered into the kitchen where he made several calls. The first call was to his wife. He explained to her Mrs. Green's situation. The doctor's wife asked for Mrs. Green's address and said she would heat up the dinner she had pre-cooked for Christmas while her sons would go with their uncle to the local department store before it closed. Then she would be over with the food and gifts for Mrs. Green and her children. The second call was to the local pharmacy. The pharmacist said he was closing in 10 minutes and therefore would be unable to fulfill uh, Dr. Devaney's order. However, when the doctor reminded him that he did a large amount of business with the pharmacy, the pharmacist suddenly decided he could bring the medicine to Dr. Devaney on his way home. The third call was to the coal company. Dr. Devaney got coal for his home from the same company and persuaded the owner to personally bring a load of coal to Mrs. Green's home that night on the doctor's account. The fourth call was to the mayor of the city who was already home eating dinner and thinking about sitting down to listen to Amos and Andy on the radio with his family. Dr. Devaney was his family's doctor, so he took the call. Dr. Devaney explained the situation and asked the mayor to get Mrs. Green's electricity turned back on. The mayor told him he understood the, the woman's plight. However, he, could, he was not in a position as mayor to override the electric department's decision. Dr. Devaney told him that he would consider it a personal favor if this one time the mayor could see his way to get getting the electricity turned back on. The mayor started to reiterate his polite, polite refusal when Dr. Devaney pointed out that the pharmacist was going out of his way to deliver medicine after hours to help, that the coal company owner was persuading, persuaded to personally deliver coal to get the heat back on, and that Mr. Devaney's own family was foregoing some of their Christmas dinner uh, to assist Mrs. Green's family. With that, the mayor relented and said that given the fact that so many people were pitching in to help this family on Christmas Eve, he would do everything he could to help and that the electricity would be turned back on this very evening. Dr. Devaney walked back to Mrs. Green's home where the pharmacist was waiting with the medicine. Before the pharmacist could leave to go home, the coal delivery arrived and the pharmacist helped the coal company owner with getting the coal into the furnace and the furnace lit. After Dr. Devaney administered the first do dose of medicine, his wife and sons arrived with a dinner of ham, potatoes, green beans, and rolls, which was placed on the table in Mrs. Green's kitchen and Christmas gifts purchased from O'Neill's department store. Just then, the mayor showed up with Father Corrigan and an employee from the electric department, and within minutes, the electricity was restored. Through tears of joy, Mrs. Green thanked everyone, saying that she had prayed for a miracle and it had come in the form of everyone that had helped her family this evening. Everyone involved left the Green home that evening with the warm glow of knowing they had seen and been part of a Christmas miracle, one that would have, been, would have seemed largely insignificant to the world, but was somehow 
strikingly similar to a miracle that had occurred in Bethlehem 2,000 years earlier. And you know, that's what it's all about. You said those people gave probably one of the greatest gifts that lady could ever have at that point in her life and how good they felt. And that's true. That's the true meaning of Christmas because you even look back at St. Nicholas. What did he do? He gave to others. And God said, there's two things that are the most important thing beside accepting him as your Lord and Savior. It's that that you love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second commandment is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Christmas is about. And you know, there was a prophet in the Old Testament. His name was Isaiah. And he was a prophet to Judah. At that time in history, Israel had been divided previously after David, King David died and his son Solomon had taken reign. And then Solomon's sons uh, just blew it. They just absolutely blew the leadership. It split the kingdom in half. And there was a northern kingdom of 10 tribes and a southern kingdom of two tribes. And uh, it was just called Judah, Judah and Benjamin. And Isaiah was a prophet to the tribe of Judah from 740 to 681 B.C. And it was a great time of upheaval. There was a wicked king ruling then, King Ahaz, and then Manasseh, and the people reverted to idolatry, and there was even child sacrifice back then. How terrible is that? But Isaiah, he looked to God, and he wrote these words over 600 years, nearly 700 years before it happened. In the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 9, verse 6, he wrote, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You know, Cliff, like you guys did, we had great Christmases. We had the fantasy of Santa Claus. And as our kids got older, we told them about the fantasy. And the older son, when he found out, loved playing along with the fantasy to the younger son until he was of age that we would tell him. But we enjoyed those times together and giving to other people. And like you, Christmas Eve, we would be at Kelly's parents' house, and it was just mass carnage of gifts upon gifts for a huge family that she's a part of. Then Christmas morning, we'd be there, and the presents would be under the tree from Santa. And then as they began to realize who Santa was, with a wink and a nod, they're still always there from Santa. But we always shared with our family because I wanted to plant a seed to our family and other families of what Christmas is really about and the true meaning of Christmas. And Isaiah told us about a child that would come. And so we always shared with our family that Christmas is about Jesus, his birth. It's his birthday. And so every Christmas Eve after we would have dinner and all the family was gathered together in the large living room and kitchen area, I would read the Christmas story out of Luke chapter two. And that was my way of sharing with our family truly what we were celebrating and what we were doing during this holiday season. And I think it's appropriate for us to close out the podcast tonight with me reading you Luke chapter two. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made by Serenius, who was governor of Syria. All went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, to 
because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That is the true meaning of Christmas. That is why we celebrate Christmas. As Derek Johnson says in a lot of the Christmases stories, Christmas is not what you get, but what you give. I hope that you're giving this Christmas. I hope that you'll give in sharing this podcast so that others too can hear the true message and meaning Christmas. And I pray that you know Jesus. You know the sacrifice he made in love for you, that he died on the cross, that just by believing on him and asking for forgiveness of sin, you'll have eternal life. For Cliff DeCamp, this is Jeff Tokar telling you Merry Christmas and reminding you that we at the American Constitutionalist still support and believe in God, America, and freedom.